Hey everyone, and welcome to the New Visionary Podcast, a podcast for artists who are ready to reach greater heights in their art careers. I'm your host, Victoria J. Fry, founder of Visionary Art Collective and New Visionary Magazine. Join me for inspiring conversations with some of the most inspirational visionaries in today's art world. Let's jump in. Hey everyone, and welcome back. We are here today with Demarcus McGoy, a Brooklyn-based mixed media artist. And I can't wait to dive in with Demarcus today. We have actually been studio mates for a little while now. So I have had the pleasure of getting to know Demarcus here at the studio, Um, but we're gonna learn so much more about him and his work today. Welcome Demarcus. Hey Victoria, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. I can't wait to learn more about you. I mean, I'm, you know, we're always passing each other and I'm always seeing your gorgeous paintings and hearing about all the amazing things you are up to. And there are a lot of cool things we're going to dive into today. Uh, but this is a great opportunity to just learn more about you and how your work came to be. And, you know, you are enjoying a lot of success in your art career now as well. So we're going to kind of peel the layers back a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. So you are, of course, based here in Brooklyn, but I know that you are originally from Dallas, Texas. So usually the way I like to start these conversations is just to just learn more about, you know, your upbringing and your creative journey, how it started for you. So if you'd like to just dive in and tell us, you know, how did it start for you? I've always been a creative. I've always been like um, an artist, I guess, should I say. Even as a kid, I remember these magazines where they used to have these ads in the back of magazines saying, if you can sketch this picture, mail it in and like you'll win a prize or something like that. And I remember um, I used to do this with my cousins a lot. You know, I could, I could draw the image like exact. Um, I can remember that. And I can remember, uh, I think maybe, maybe my earliest memory though could be, my mom, she was a, uh, she used to be a teacher. And I remember one time there was a, a coloring book and I used to get so frustrated because I thought my colors were so ugly and I colored outside the lines. And I would look at my mom's colors in the coloring book and I was like, oh, it's so pretty, you know, so beautiful. I just remember I'd be so pissed, you know, and she was like, um, just relax, just calm down, be patient. Let me show you how I do it. And she showed me her technique. Um, because, you know, she was also like a um, she's like an elementary school teacher. So she was used to teaching other kids how to color. And so, um, yeah, she taught me her process or her technique on how she colors. And the funny thing is I kind of still color that same way today. But then I was also like growing up in like high school and elementary school. You know, you always have like that kid that's like the best illustrator in the class. You know, I was one of three. But I always heard that you could make a career as an artist. So, you know, growing up, I always heard like the only thing you could be is a starving artist. Like you just couldn't thrive in it, you know. So I kind of ran away from it, you know, wanting to be a doctor just because it sounded nice. I'm a psychiatrist, actually. Once I got to college, I remember I was in line to register to, you know, be a biology major. I remember um, switching my major, like getting out of line and switching my major and my mom was like, well, what do you want to do? And I was like, well, I want to go into art because my, my teacher told me to pick something that I'm good at. 
and I chose art. And I remember my dad was upset, like he was pissed, you know, because he had been telling all his friends that I was going to be a doctor and I was going to go to, you know, med school. Like, but the thing was, he didn't know any successful artists, you know, but I went into, actually went into graphic design, like advertising art. And he was like, the only thing that he could equate it to was that TV show Bewitched. And he was like, so what are you going to do? You're going to be like Darren Stevens working in advertising. I was like, yeah, exactly. That's what I'm going to do. So, yeah, and I, I ended up getting an internship. I was the first student at my university to get an internship at an ad agency. So, yeah, I've always been creative, always. It's really, really cool. And, you know, part of the reason I love asking this question is because I always learn so much about the artist I didn't know. And one thing that really stood out to me about what you said is how the techniques that your mother taught you at such an early age with coloring are still present in your work today. It's so interesting how these experiences, our childhood experiences, impact us later on. And it sounds super obvious, like, well, of course they do. But I I think that a lot of times we you know, we grow and we evolve and we forget just how much those early childhood experiences do impact us and the work that we're creating. So that was actually really fascinating to hear. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you with that. Yeah, it's it's really cool. So you decided to pursue a career as an artist. You got an internship at an ad agency. And just to kind of tail off what you were saying, I also grew up with the idea, even though my family was extremely encouraging and supportive of pursuing a career in visual arts, I also thought there were only a few options, like you become a graphic designer, you become an illustrator, um, or you become (laughs) just a starving artist, like a painter, and you try and sell your paintings. But I did have hope because I think I, you know, growing up around New York City, coming into the Chelsea Galleries, I saw at a young age that there were these amazing artists showing their work and clearly making a living from it. But I think it's it's hard when we don't always see that and know that. And I think even even though I was exposed to that, I still felt like there were a limited number of options uh, as an artist. So what brought you to to New York City? Like, how did you make that transition from... Texas, where you had spent most of your life, to then coming up here to New York? Well, I always knew, like in high school, I always knew that I wanted to live in New York. I always felt like it just, it was calling me. Like for years, I just always felt like New York was always calling me, like this was the place to be. Uh, growing up in Dallas, I've always kind of felt like, uh, like I was kind of, not necessarily like I was born in the wrong place, but I always kind of felt odd. I, did, I felt like I didn't quite fit. Like I tried to make myself fit, but I didn't quite fit. And um, I wanted to come out to high school and my parents were like, no, you have to go to college and you have to graduate. So I went to college and I graduated. Then I wanted to come after graduation, but I had like a long-term girlfriend, like high school girlfriend and college girlfriend. And she was like, oh, I'm not moving to New York. So didn't move then. And then when we broke up, by that time I was a freelance graphic designer. So I had my own design firm like the age of, uh, I think I was like maybe 24, 25. And I had like a design firm in downtown Dallas with a staff. And I remember at that time, like it wasn't really big to work remotely. And um, I remember a client that I had, I had to do weekly meetings with them. And um, I was like, hey, I was like, I want to move to New York. And I, I, could, you know, I could design, you know, from New York, you know for your company. And they were like, no, like you have to be able to come to the meetings. Like if you can't come to the meetings, 
then we're going to have to like let go of this contract. So they ended up offering me like a full-time job making six figures. And I remember telling myself, I was like, if I don't move now, I'm never going to move. And like, I just rejected the six figures and just moved here, moved here at the age of 30. I had just turned 30 at the time. And I was a, I owned a design firm and I was a magazine publisher in Dallas. And I gave all that up to come here to New York for the, you know, bright lights, big city. And then I feel like I got here and I started to play small. I think I got scared and I got nervous. Um, didn't really realize like what my passion was. The only thing I can say is I really played small. Like I, I, I pretended that I was a small person, you know, which I wasn't doing myself any justice. How I got into art, like I wasn't even a visual artist. Like I was still doing graphic design. And I think what happened was the thing that like activated me being a visual artist was my best friend in college. Um, even though we were art majors together, he um, he went to the fine arts world and I went into the graphics world. He uh, passed away from a congestive heart failure. His name was Tafiq Muhammad. And I felt like that activated me into painting again. Like I feel like he kind of passed me the baton. I was doing it for therapy. And then I started to realize I was getting all these opportunities that he wanted, like residencies out of the country. You know, I was getting into New York galleries and things just kind of like took off from there. It's so interesting to hear you describe not just the cool things, right? Like getting into residencies and working with galleries. And we'll die. I know you've had a, a lot of success lately and are continuing to. So we'll dive into that in a moment. But also, I just really appreciate your transparency with the challenges of moving to a city that you've never lived in. And moving to New York can be quite intimidating, <laughs> uh, to say the least. You know, it's like the art capital of the world. And also how the importance of mindset and how your perception of yourself, you know, ultimately plays into how you experience your life and what what you're able to achieve and what you can do in your life. It all comes down to how you view yourself. So if you are moving to a new city and you're intimidated and you start to kind of go into your shell and and view yourself as a small, you know, you know, you said like a small person, then of course that is going to limit your uh, abilities. And you, I think to pursue a career as an artist, or I, I believe this about pursuing a career in any field, but to be successful in it, you have to have this almost like unwavering self-belief, you know, that you can make it almost to the point sometimes of like <laughs> a little bit, like being a little bit delusional, like you just have to really yeah. believe in it. But it's hard when you're getting started, you know, especially in an unfamiliar city in a place like New York that is, can be very intimidating. Um, and you were, and you were also switching career paths. So it's not like you had started to build a really strong foundation as a visual artist. I mean, you, you were in graphic design, but specifically as a painter in Texas. And then you just transitioned to New York. It was like you were completely starting from scratch. So I can, I appreciate your transparency and I can also really understand how challenging that must be. So my question for you is how did you start to come out of that? I mean, I know you mentioned your friend had passed mm -hmm. and that was, uh, really impactful. And so did your mindset and the way you, you viewed yourself and your work just start to naturally shift over time? Once I uh, exhibited in that in the gallery for the first time, that was kind of something that like gave me a little bit of confidence. 
but I saw how quickly, how comfortable I got. And so I did become part of a community and I did, I did end up meeting like other artists, but I think the thing, Victoria, that really shifted everything was when I got my first residency and my first residency was in Barcelona. Actually, there was a friend of mine. She got accepted into the program first. I just remember how excited she was. And she was like, oh, I got into this residency in Barcelona. And I was like, oh, that is so cool. I was like, I wish I could do something like that. I was like, how long are you going to be gone? And she's like, I'm going to be there for three months. And I was like, that is so cool. I wish I could do something like that. And she goes, I'm so glad that you said that because I told them about you and they're waiting for your portfolio. And I was like, what? And so I was like, are you serious? And she was like, I'm dead serious. And so um, I submitted and I got accepted. I spent three months in Barcelona and it completely changed everything. Like, um, oh my God, it was just the fact of going to another place, experiencing another place, another culture, seeing how other people live, like it really impacted my art. Um, And then there were other artists from different countries. So um, I think even that like kind of got me out of my comfort zone. And then you get to hear about their stories and where they're from and what kind of art that they like. So it wasn't like my, my art wasn't kind of like, you know, one-sided. So over there, I ended up having an exhibition. So it was my first residency and then my first international exhibition in the gallery over there. And so by the time I came back to New York, I was kind of a couple of steps ahead of my circle, you know? So which when I got back, um, my art started to change. You know, my style started to change. My narrative started to change um, and it was totally different. And then like where I would exhibit started to change. I really love residencies because you get to create community. You get to bridge the gap from, you know, where you live and, you know, where you are. Like I had to utilize my Spanish and I had to become like totally independent. Like I got there and thought like, okay, I'm going to have this exhibition and, you know, the gallery is going to send out like emails or flyers to their distribution list. And the gallery owners were like, no, you're responsible for getting people into the gallery. And I'm like, what? Like, I don't know anybody here. So it really forced me to like engage with people, you know, in Barcelona. It really forced me to, you know, connect, you know, and to, like I said, use my Spanish, like my second language. And so literally everybody that I met, from the Uber driver to the waitress to the barber to people in the clothing store to the people at the art store, like I all I invited them all to my exhibition, and when we had the exhibition. We had like forty friends from New York that flew over, you know. And then one of my friends, she just happened to be a DJ, so she rented equipment over there, and so she became my DJ. And I felt like we really gave people in Barcelona like the New York experience too. So it was kind of like cultures were kind of like you know. You know, crossing over. So a lot of the people there were like, is this what New York is like? And I was like, yeah, New York is totally like this, you know? So it influenced them to want to come to New York and to see it and experience for themselves. But then also some of my friends that came to Barcelona, it was some of them, it was their first time leaving out of the country. Some of them, um, it was their first time coming to Barcelona and they ended up connecting. Like they didn't know each other. I had friends from London that flew in, friends from Italy that flew in. And so they all like connected, you know, so it was kind of like I was really starting to see the possibilities and the power of being an artist and connection, community, 
you know, and, you know, just like getting out of your comfort zone. I always, I always tell people that our visions are tied to other, are tied to other people's lives, you know, and like the longer you take to, to do something or to release that product or to create that piece, the longer it's going to take for the other person's life to be activated. And I felt like I activated or I accepted, I accepted the possibility of being a resident in Barcelona, which activated other people's lives into traveling and connecting and experiencing Barcelona. I think that's so beautiful and so powerful and just such a great story of like how you started to grow your confidence and what shifted for you and, and why it shifted. When you originally said that, you know, your confidence started to grow through the resident through this residency, I was thinking, huh, like I'm curious to know like, you know, how, how that happened and, and why that happened. But I, I totally get it now. Like it was your first time leaving the country and doing it. I mean, a three month residency is substantial. Long time. Yeah. And also being responsible for getting bodies in the door. It forces you to network. And I think any opportunity that you have where you have to push yourself out of your comfort zone in a big way, you start to level up and you start to believe in yourself more and your confidence does grow pretty significantly through that. So I think that's so beautiful. I really love what you said about how your visions are tied to other people's lives. Mm. And it's so true. Like we are all connected and I know that sounds super obvious, but like it's true. And I think we forget it. And especially as artists, we can be so singularly focused on our work and our, our careers. But I, I also really appreciate how you are, describing like the community aspect of residencies and what you know makes it so powerful because you are engaging with other artists and it's this communal experience versus I'm in my studio alone making my work in private which is typically how it is I also say like by the time I came back to New York I realized like I wasn't as shy anymore you know um like I have some friends that are like well, back then, not now, but back then I had like some friends, like they didn't know like their artistic language. They didn't know how to speak about their work. They didn't know how to connect to like potential buyers. And I, when I came back again, like there was just like this confidence that I had. I knew how to network. Like I'm like now, now I understand I'm the type of artist that I know how to network. I know how to market. Uh, I'm not afraid of social media. I'm not afraid to explain my art. I'm not afraid to connect with people, you know, and I didn't necessarily even just collectors. I'm not afraid to connect with people. And I, I know, I know my stories now. I know like my reason why and all of that, you know? So I, I learned, I think that's why, I, and I do quite a few residencies. That's why I love them because like, even when I, so I was a, last year in November, I was a resident in the, like last year, I, went, I was a resident in France at Chateau Orcavaux. And over there, they really, really taught me my language. Like I had this um, full disclosure, authenticity. I used to, I didn't really know, like I knew the stories behind my pieces, but I didn't know like how to project that in my art. You know, when I talk. You know, and I would hear other artists talk. And to be honest with you, especially other black artists, I was just using the same narratives that I heard them say because I thought it sounded cool 
or I thought, oh, if I don't say that, then I'm going to sound lame. But I wasn't authentic to myself and I wasn't authentic to my language. And so in France, I remember telling them I was like um, the director, um, Beulah. And I remember telling Beulah, like, I really need support on my language. And when I tell you, like, we went through it with like a fine comb, you know, like by the time I came back again, like now when I speak, people are like, oh, my God, the way that you speak about your art is because I really understand it. And I really understand like the people that I paint, you know, I really understand those stories and those narratives. And then like even when I was a resident um, in the Hamptons, I knew that I wanted to create some type of community there. You know, in the Hamptons, I was there for two weeks. I'm real big on like this whole like, you know, manifestation thing, you know, like the universe answers and all of that. And I knew like I I wanted to leave with like being in a gallery, having it, maybe even having like a solo exhibition out there. And it all happened. Like it all happened. It happened sooner than I anticipated but it all happened, you know, but um, I go like I like now I do things with intention, basically. I love that. I'm also very big into manifesting. I think it's sometimes viewed as this sort of woo woo thing, but actually it's about aligning your energy with what it is that you're calling in. And it's amazing when you do that to see how the universe answers. And sometimes if the universe doesn't answer, it's an invitation for you to look at what you, mm-hmm. how you could potentially be blocking yourself and those opportunities. But when you're open and you're clear and, you know, you use the word intention when you're intentional, um, I think there's a much greater chance of those things happening. So I love that. And I, what I think is so cool too, is that you have like, you're so honest with yourself, with the areas of growth that you have, because we all have them mm-hmm. and to say, okay, I really need some support with, you know, honing my language and like the way that I talk about my work or I really need some support with this. It's so important for artists and really for anyone to do that because that is how we grow. We just have to almost like objectively evaluate ourselves (laughs) so that we can get better and like take the emotion out of it and just say like, okay, these are my strengths and these are my areas of growth. And, um, and I think it's really important. A question that I have for you is, what advice might you give to artists who are still very much working on building their confidence in their art careers, in the way they talk about their work, in the way they present their work? One piece of advice I would say is um, I used to have this like core group of artist friends and it was just us. Like we didn't let anybody else into our circle. Um, but I remember a gallery owner sent me this article on Basquiat and Andy Warhol while I was in Barcelona. And the article spoke about what made them both so valuable was that they were not just in one circle, but they were in many circles. And I remember at the end of the the article, it says something kind of like, try to be in as many circles as you can. So when I came back to the States, that's just exactly what I did. I just, I started to network more. I started to go to galleries more and I started to introduce myself to galleries I started to introduce myself to curators and to other artists. And I really found like a community and I found multiple communities and multiple tribes. So I have like my artist circle in Dallas. I have like, I'm I'm also on the board of Arts Gowanus here in Brooklyn. So I have like my Brooklyn community. I have like my artist friends in, you know, Harlem. I have my friends in 
Spain. I have my friends in Paris. I have my friends in Fort Worth, Texas, you know. And so by doing that, the one thing that amazes me is I've never been, not to say that I'm the underdog, but I've never been like the first choice. I was always like waitlisted or I was always like the second choice. And the thing that happens is like when that first choice, something happens or they can't commit to whatever, I'm the next person in line, you know, and that's how it's always happened. It's always been because I did all of that networking, you know, my friends, are like, they're speaking up for me. Like they're speaking my name in rooms that I'm not a part of. So they're like, oh, we need an artist for such, such, such. And they're like, oh, we know this mixed media artist by the name of Demarcus. Like, blah, blah, blah. He's reliable, you know, all of that. And so I've gotten opportunities because of that. I've gotten opportunities because of that. Um, but I'll also say one thing that I love, like I was a business owner before I was an artist. So I was an entrepreneur. So I carry myself as a businessman, you know, like, you know, I carry myself with integrity when I have a phone call or when I have a meeting and if it's at one o'clock, I'm there at one o'clock, you know, I'm on the phone, I'm on the call. Or if I have a gallery meeting, like I'm there on time. You know, I remember this one gallery that I went to, they were like, are you always on time? And I was like, yeah, I was I'm a businessman before I'm an artist, you know? Um, so that's, that's number two. Number three, I would say, don't be afraid to say what you want. It took me a long time to learn that as an artist, like, a lot of times I thought like, you know, maybe somebody was doing me a favor or I was scared of contracts and negotiating and all of that. But I learned like once you get that first contract, like a contract is always negotiable and, you know, put in an exit clause. You know, if you are doing this contract with someone, it's not working out. Make sure you have an exit clause to get out of it, you know. Yeah, like there's so many things that I could just tell artists, you know, like whatever your weakness is, if you know it's your weakness, find somebody that knows how to do it and ask them for support. Ask them to to, to show you how to do it or to help you how to do it. Um, and then also like don't, you know, I mean, I don't know about every artist, but I'm not the type of artist that comes from competition and comparison. I used to be, but I'm not anymore. I started to realize like my world kind of opened up when I became supportive. Because the more that I was supportive to other artists and I passed on opportunities, the more opportunities came to me and someone, you know, passed them on to me as well, too. A hundred percent. And those are such important points. And I just want to recap because I think that was actually such a well-rounded list of <laughs> advice that you gave. So, you know, expanding your network is huge because we can only grow so much also if we stay in the same circle with the same people. I think it's you know, we've talked about pushing, I mean, you talked about pushing yourself out of your comfort zone. I think it's essential and expanding your circle and your network is part of pushing yourself out of your comfort zone. And then, you know, you talked about, I think like asking for what you want is something that can feel so uncomfortable, but it's so, so important. And, and also even before, you know, you brought that up, you mentioned the importance of being on time and being prompt and you know, one might think, well, how does that connect to growing your confidence? But actually, I think it's all connected to this idea of taking yourself seriously and taking your work seriously and taking any opportunities that are uh, that you attract and that you connect with, taking those seriously as well. And I love what you said about how you approach everything as a businessman, because 
it's really important. And when you do that, it does grow your confidence because it shows whoever you're working with uh, that you are this, uh, even if you're not feeling confident, even if you're terrified of that meeting, you know, you show up on time and you put your best foot forward. And I think the more you do that, the more confident you become. But back to this idea of asking for what you want, I think that's probably one of the hardest things for artists that I have experienced. It's also something that I have struggled with in the past and definitely improved upon. And I think it's one of those things where it's like the more you practice it, the easier it gets, the less uncomfortable it gets. And, you know, you talked about exit clauses, and that's also just part of looking out for yourself and protecting yourself and making sure that you are not going to be put in a situation that could uh, not serve you, because if it no longer serves you, at least you have a way to move on. So these are really great points that you bring up. And thank you for sharing this with us. Of course. Like, when I tell you, um, I've learned just so much, like, listen to everybody like i've learned these lessons for you so you know like, <laughs> i've made the mistakes so you don't have to <laughs> yeah right exactly you know so i've i've trust me i've done the self-sabotaging i'm not good enough you know nobody's like my work i did all of that so yeah and it's so normal too like i love having these candid conversations because part of it for me is i want to normalize these feelings. I work with artists individually and I help to mentor emerging artists. And there are so, so many artists that I work with. And I have also experienced this personally myself who have these feelings of like inadequacy or an imposter syndrome or everyone around me is just crushing it in their art careers and I'm not. But the more we can, you know, candidly talk about like, Hey, I felt this way too. I've I've been in that place as well. We start to realize, oh, it's actually really normal to have those feelings. And I think there's you demonstrate this really well, just you know, from the the time that I've gotten to know you a little bit, is like this perseverance and this dedication that you just have to have, I think, in the face of those fears and in the face of self-doubt. It's okay to have that and you will have those, you know, thoughts and feelings, but it's like just keep going and don't give up. So I want to shift the the conversation a little bit to all of the amazing opportunities that you have. I, For anyone listening, every time I run into DeMarcus and I ask him what he's up to, he there's like five new things that he's, you know, working on or new shows, new, uh, you know, galleries, so many things. And so you are clearly in a point in your career now where you are really starting to enjoy the success and you've worked really hard to, you know, get to this point as well. So tell us, like, did it, did you reach a point in your career where things just started to happen and then it started to like kind of snowball? Like, I'm so curious about that. Yes. Um, It's so funny that you asked this question because had you asked me this question a year ago, it would be a totally different answer. I think maybe, yeah, maybe like two years ago, I got very intentional on what kind of artist I wanted to be. Like originally I was kind of just accepting any and every exhibition that I could be in. Like, you know, you want to put me in a coffee shop, I'm going to be in a coffee shop, you want to put me in a restaurant, you want to put me in a library, I'm going to exhibit, I'm going to exhibit, you know, I'm just going to get out there, you know. Um, But then I got real intentional, like what kind of artist do I want to be? And I wanted to be a gallery artist and I wanted to be a museum artist and I wanted to be an artist um, 
that created brand partnerships or had brand partnerships um, or ambassadors of brands. And um, so when I started to get those opportunities to exhibit in coffee shops, my answer became no, because it wasn't aligned with who I wanted to be. I remember I took the risk and I did the other art fair in Brooklyn. And I remember I got accepted, but I was on the wait list. I didn't quite get into the show. And um, COVID happened. So everybody started bailing out. And so this was the first fair that they did since COVID had happened. And so I took it. I took the risk. I paid the money for a big booth. And I got in. And I didn't sell anything. Um, But what ended up happening was my grandmother, um, very pivotal moment, my grandmother had a stroke. And so right after the other art fair, my family called me and they were like, we don't think she's going to make it. And I just hopped on a plane, no clothes. Like I booked the next flat, like three hours to go, went to the airport, flew to be with her. And then I realized um, like, okay, I'm going to take this time to be with her. She ended up living for like another like eight months, but I took three months just being with her. I didn't create any art. But I remember that time, my my counterparts, my contemporaries, they all were having solo exhibitions. And I felt like I got retained a grade. I felt like like I saw my I saw the potential and the possibility of my art career, but it just didn't happen. And then I kind of just felt like I flunked, you know, like I had to sit back and I was very supportive of my friends. I went to all their exhibitions. If I couldn't make it, like I sent flowers, you know, or no card. And then 2022, fast forward to 2022, I got intentional again. And I just kept my head down and I just created. Like, I just created like night and day. Like, I just created. Like, on my social media, I think I was posting like the same paintings that I created over and over. But I would paint in, I had a body of work in Brooklyn. Then I would go home to Texas to be with my family. I created another series there and then I would go out of town. I would create another series there. And by the time I looked up, I had like five totally different series, five totally different exhibitions ready to go. That's just what happened. Like then, you know, now it's 2023 and in the month of February, I was in a total of seven exhibitions. And I still have artwork that people have never seen because I think just in 2022, like I just got serious. It was like, you know, what do I want to talk about? What are the stories that I want to tell? Um, who are the people that I want to make paintings of, you know? Um, and I started to realize, like, I wanted to paint my life. So all my life, my experiences, my friends, you know, like I'm a life coach. So my my clients, you know, and then also one of the big things that happened when my grandmother did pass away, um, right before she passed away, I started incorporating fabric into my pieces, and I remember this one particular piece that I did. It went viral on Instagram. And I remember someone putting in the comment, oh, wow, we all go to the same fabric store. And I just remember how I felt like, no, I don't want anyone to have the same fabric that I have. And when my grandmother passed away, um, she had boxes of fabrics from the quilts that she used to make us, unused fabrics. So I inherited all of her fabric collection. And now I... I put all of those into my pieces now. Um, so now I feel like she and I are like collaborating together when I create a piece, you know? So yeah, I like, I feel like I hate that she passed away, but I feel like it 
really helped define like my style and technique and my art now. Oh my gosh. I, there's so many things you just shared that I just really love and resonate with. And I think it's so beautiful that even though, you know, she passed, you're, like you said, you're still collaborating with her and her work is, or her fabric is now part of your work. And I think that it's only going to make your work more personal and, and more meaningful to you and the people who, you know, collect it and who view it. Um, I think that's so powerful and also just such a creative and innovative way of repurposing, you know, fabric that otherwise might. And this is what I love about artists. We find such creative uses for things because, (laughs) uh, you know, you had these boxes of fabric and you're like, okay, this can become part of my artwork and strengthen it. And um, I just think that's so beautiful. I also really appreciate what you said about how for you things started to change when you got more clear you know, about an intentional and how the clarity is what allowed you to move forward. Because I think, you know, when I'm start, when I start working with artists who are at the very, very beginning of their art careers, you know, usually it is this, uh, there is this idea of like, you've got to start somewhere. And I'm always encouraging artists. I'm like, go down to that coffee shop, see if you can get your work on those walls. Like, just start getting your work out of your home, out of your apartment, get it out into the world. But there does come a point as well where you start to realize, is this something that I want to continue? And for some artists it is, but for other artists, you know, and for you, you're like, I want to be a gallery artist. I want to be a museum artist. And so I need to make sure that any opportunities that I pursue are in line with those overarching goals. And sometimes that requires a little bit more patience And, you know, you are so transparent with sharing that your journey has been full of ups and downs. And really, you've started to enjoy your success within the past, you know, couple of years or or year or so. But I think the more clear we can get on what it is we really want to um, get out of our art careers, like what are I call it, and I didn't come up with this phrase, but uh, I refer to it as your BHAG, like your big, hairy, audacious goal. It's like mm-hmm. the big, you know, what, like you said, like be, getting your work into a museum, having like a solo show in a museum or something like that. You know, that's usually a goal that feels really scary, but also really exciting. And then it just comes down to being intentional. And, um, you know, you also talked about the importance of supporting people around you. So, I've been in that situation too, where I've worked with artists or I've had artist friends who are just crushing it. And I felt like things were going much slower for me, but you also have to, you know, it's important to of course, support everyone around you and trust. I think there's this level of trust that is absolutely essential. If you want a career as an artist, you have to trust the timing uh, of your art career and you have to trust the process. So Thank you for sharing all of that. I totally agree with you on that. Um, even hearing you say that, I remember like I'm, a, I'm a, and I'm gonna make this quick too. Like I remember three scenarios or three situations with three different artists. The first was um, one of my close friends. His name is Mark McLeod. He's a um, mixed media artist as well. Well, he's like more of a functional artist. Um, I remember when I when I went to learn how to resin, I, I didn't know how to resin, and I met Mark at. Uh, we exhibited together at Pancakes and Booze. And um, I remember going up to him and how scared I was. And I was like, hey, dude, like, is that resin? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, mm, should I ask him? Should I not ask him? Because, you know, my background is like, you know, most artists are not going to share their secrets with you, you know. But I took the risk and I was like, hey, man, I was like, 
how do you resin? You know, just like, how do you resin? And he was like, oh, man. Oh, he's like, what's your number? And he was like, I'll send you a video. And he sent me a step-by-step video. And that was the first time anybody had ever shown me that much kind of like compassion in the art world. Um, the second is... Um, She's like my big sister, Evita Tizano. She's in Dallas, and she was actually in your magazine. And she'll people, be coming on the podcast soon. <laughs> yeah, you know, is like the goat. Yes, yeah, she's been amazing. Knowing, she's amazing, and she's so like I knew her when I wasn't even doing art, you know. But she has she's been doing this for so long, and like it's it's she's like a. Cinderella story, you know, she's been doing this for years and it's like, it just, it finally hit, you know, and I see her on that path to being a blue chip artist, you know, and Evita would just give me just, you know, techniques and she was just stories with me and that really like kind of helped me. And then lastly, our friend Idris, you know, Idris is Uh, just like heaven sent. I met Idris on social media and when I tell you, like, Idris just, you know, I signed with my first gallery because of Idris. You know, that's why it's important to make connections because sometimes galleries won't even mess with you unless you have, like, a referral or recommendation from another artist on their roster, you know. And it was Idris. Like, I went to France and Idris introduced me to his gallery in France. You know, he told them about me. Um, he told me like his techniques. He told me like you know where he got his fabrics and stuff from. Like and I and I would always say like Idris, you know how can I support you? You know the way that you and he would always say the way by supporting me is you support another artist. And I was just like oh, how unselfish, you know? And like I just love this guy. Like he's totally rare and like he's like like I feel like he's the gift that keeps giving. You know, and so that's that's why I'm always so supportive with other artists. I'm always so giving, you know, because like I have friends who who poured into me. So I pour into other artists, too. Yeah. And it's community over competition. And it's something we've spoken about a little bit on the podcast, too, because I think that for some artists and I think it maybe used to be like this a little bit more. I don't know. But um we feel like we can't, even I, I remember I used to create these really elaborate beeswax paintings and, and people would ask me how I made them and I would be nervous to share or upload process videos. I mean, that was so long ago and now I'm like, oh my goodness, that, that was, you know, I was, that was just a scared version of myself that was nervous if I, you know, would, that's all it is. It's just fear. If you're ever nervous about sharing your techniques or, um, because it's rooted in the idea that there's not enough for everyone. And so you have to kind of guard what you have and don't share your secrets and don't support other artists because you have to just focus on building your art career. But actually it's so true. Like the more you support other artists, the more you give back, the more that you share, the more open you are. It's amazing to see how the opportunities just start pouring in. And I think I mentioned to you that um, I asked Idris to, when I was teaching high school, Mm -hmm. come and speak with my high school students. And he inspired so many of them and we all left that uh that zoom call with just so many warm and fuzzies (laughs) and so so much inspiration and we all felt so uplifted and uh yeah he's an amazing he's he's an artist that 
is so true to his vision. And then, like you said, just so open and willing to share and to inspire others. Um, and I think it's so, it's so important. Like if you really think about what are, I don't think there's like a secret recipe to success, but I do think there are certain things that are important to have in place if you want to be successful at anything. And one of those is a willingness to support others and to share and to be compassionate while you are building your own career, uh, because you're going to see it come back to you for sure. So tell us, what are you working on right now? What do you have coming up? I know you have a lot of things coming up and, uh, and then we'll start to wrap up with where we can find you and learn more and all of that. But yeah, tell us what's going on right now and the exciting things you have coming up soon. Well, I just completed, uh, a solo exhibition at the Sweet Lorraine Gallery and, um, that was called Kindred and that was a series of my family. Um, and we exhibited that for Black History Month. And that series has actually got picked up and it is going to the Southampton's African-American Museum. So I will be exhibiting there from May until August. Uh, however, I also have a, I call it, or he's what we're calling it like my big gallery exhibition, but um, I have an exhibition this April um, at the Kente Royal Gallery in Harlem. And so that opens up April 7th and it closes on April 29th. I don't have the opening reception dates or the artist talk dates yet, but I do know the closing reception is April 29th, which is my birthday. And so we plan on partying that day. So that's the last day. (laughs) (laughs) So if you're in New York, be sure to come by. (laughs) Please be sure to come by. And then October, I have a solo exhibition in Dallas, Texas with Daisha Boyd Gallery. And that is... um, that particular exhibition is uh, it's really close to my heart because that's me going back home. Like I've traveled to all these different countries and different states and exhibited there, but I get to go home. And my friend Daisha, she was voted um, uh, best gallery in Dallas in 2022. And so, um, wow. yeah, Daisha is like a force. She's a force. And I'm so excited to be exhibiting there with her. Like, yeah, I'm so excited for that. That's amazing. And I, I think that now you've kind of like reached this point where things are just going to keep happening. And and one thing I want to circle back to that you mentioned earlier that I I meant to highlight because it's so important and I don't want to forget to bring this up again is, you know, when you started to have that clarity of the vision you had for your art career, the direction you wanted to head in, and you started to get more intentional one thing that you pointed out is that you really focused on the work and developing the work and making as much as you can. And I think as artists, we that is so important. Your, your art practice, your studio practice always has to be at the forefront of what you're doing because it's not possible to have the gallery shows and the solo shows and all of these great things if your studio practice is not, it's not strong and you can absolutely, you know, you mentioned that you are a life coach as well. And, um, you can absolutely still make progress, although it is challenging at times on building a really strong body of work or building multiple collections of work, even if you are working other jobs. And you're a great example of that, you know, of an artist who also has, um, other passions and other jobs, but you, have found a way to um, prioritize your art practice. And I think like 
one of the best pieces of advice for any artist listening is, you know, get clear on everything that you want to achieve in your art career, uh, but stay focused on the work because that's the root of all that is going to happen for you. Yeah, I think um, I think to add on what you said, um, I think also to to make time for your art. You know, yeah. so you know, I'm a life coach and I'm a gra- freelance graphic designer. And I think the hardest thing was also like I th- we were kind of talking about it a little bit earlier, but it's just like make time. Like if I'm tired yeah. of designing logos all day for all these different companies, it's like okay, at least paint the edges to my canvases today. I don't have to paint the whole thing, yes. but just the edges, or at least sketch it out. You know, or at least um you know, put the wire on the back of the canvas. Like I try to make sure I do at least something towards my art every day. Like, again, intentionality, like being intentional and making time for it. I will say this also too. There were two people in 2022 that got me a little bit more focused too. Like um, my goal was like, okay, if I can paint like one painting a week, it was always my goal. Okay, do one painting a week, like I'll be good. You know, it used to take me a month to paint just one painting. And then an artist by the name of Stephen um, Duffy out of um, New Jersey. He's in Manor Contemporary. Um, I went to Stephen's uh, open studio, and Stephen was the one who was like, and again, Stephen didn't know me. I had just met him. We were talking, and he told me who his gallery was. And he was like, look, go in the gallery and tell me you're my friend. And, you know, that's how it works. You know, that's how it works. And yeah. that's the advice that he gave me was like, Demarcus, put your head down. He's like, put your head down, start working. You know, and then yeah. like the universe was speaking to me because when I went to France, um, end up meeting another gallery owner. Uh, my friend, she dated a gallery owner. His name is um, Eric Dupont. His gallery is called the Dupont Gallery in France, in Paris. And you know, again, having connections. You know, I met Eric in France, and Eric ended up being an exhibitor, a vendor at the One Five Four International. Um, Fair and it was in Harlem and he needed someone to support him with um, installing the work. And because I was in New York, he's like, Demarcus, can you help me? I said, yeah. So I helped him install the work for his artist just because of that, you know, because we had the connection. And then I remember Eric telling me, Demarcus, you have work to do. And one of my friends were like, what are you talking about? Demarcus is one of the hardest working artists I know. And he was like, yeah, but he still has work to do. And I was like, Eric, I do a, a painting a week. He was like, I know artists that do three paintings in a day in France. And I was like, what? Wow. So I, again, like I just, and then Idris, I'm not going to say it. Idris, <laughs> I, I on, um, his Instagram stories. And I remember this time when Idris became a machine. And I was like, dude, what are you doing? You're doing like five paintings a day. He became a machine. And I saw that. It was like he became like an assembly line. And so it was just kind of like, okay, DeMarcus, like level up. If that's the kind of artist that you want to be, like you got to level yeah, up. Absolutely. And I, I love what you said about how like, because many of the artists who tune into this podcast and who I work with do work multiple jobs. And, and you know, I think this idea, I, I always say the question is not about how much time you have, but what you can do with the time you have. So if you only have 30 minutes at the end of the day uh, and that's not enough time to really get into your painting, 
paint the edges, um, wire the back, even just spend a few minutes photographing your work or organizing or something. It doesn't always have, you know, we don't always have those hours in the studio. Um, and, and if there's a way you can work with your schedule so that maybe you have one day a week where you have a couple hours or a few hours, you know, that's great, but it's, it's working. I spent so much time, I think in my twenties, when I was working full time, and of course I'm working full time now, but it's a little bit different because it's with my company. But I remember I would always complain <laughs> about, I don't have enough time to make my work and I wish I had more time to make my work. And now looking back, I just realized how unproductive that was because I started to see artists around me who were working multiple jobs and who were finding time. And I started to, in you know, my company, you might know it, it started as a blog that I was writing before it even turned into a company. I would interview artists for my blog. Mm -hmm. And there were artists who were like full-time moms working multiple jobs and would still carve out time for their work. And, and it wasn't easy. It's not easy, but it is possible. And it's just doing what you can. And there are some days where, you know, also it's important to choose rest sometimes. Yes. Like, yes, you know, that's, we have to prioritize our mental health as well. So you know yourself and you know what your limits are, but it's just, you have 15 minutes. What can you do in that 15 minute period? That's going to help you just move you even a tiny, tiny step closer um, to what you want to achieve. So anyway, speaking on that too, I didn't, I didn't say it, but I'm so glad that you said that I do schedule. I do schedule my rest. Like I do schedule self yes. because um i yeah. do and I, and I learned that like i learned that like um a couple of years ago because i was such a workaholic but in order to yeah. have that work-life balance you have to schedule rest like shut the phone off let everybody know between these times i'm not talking yes i'm resting like take the time for yourself a hundred percent we in my book club we just finished reading um make your art no matter what by beth pickens who actually joined our book club for a session which oh, was nice. amazing to have the author herself <laughs> uh, but that's something she really emphasized she's she recommends having one day every week where you shut your phone off and you rest and you know that it will look different for, for every person depending on your schedule and your responsibilities but this idea of scheduling rest is is so important because everything you do has to be uh, sustainable. Otherwise you're going to burn out. So, um, it's just, it's just being honest with yourself and what you need. So Marcus, this was such a pleasure. I, it was so, it's been so cool to learn more about you. Uh, I think you have not only such beautiful work and for anyone listening, if you've not seen DeMarcus's work, we're going to share his Instagram handle and website in the notes. So make sure you actually look at his gorgeous, uh, portraits because they are stunning. Uh, but also your mindset, your approach, and the lessons you've learned, I think, today, you know, with us have been so valuable. And I, I just know that so many of our listeners are going to take some nuggets of wisdom away from this episode. So uh, thank, thank you for joining us. And, me. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Let us know where we can find you. Instagram is DemarcusMCG. And actually, everything is my for branding purposes. If you just Google DeMarcus MCG, like you'll find me. And I'll include it in the notes as well. Can I tell you one thing, Victoria? I, I don't think I've ever sure. shared this with you, ever. Um, talking about like manifesting things. Yes. I remember it was 2020, it was during the pandemic. You started popping up in my timeline. I didn't know who you were. Ah. I just started to see that you were a curator. Um, you had a podcast. 
I don't know if the magazine was out yet at the time, but I remember there was a uh, submission for an exhibition that you were curating. I submitted. I didn't get in. <laughs> I didn't get in. We're coming full circle now. <laughs> but I remember, I remember distinctly saying, I remember saying it like, I was like, I'm going to meet her one day. You know, I remember saying, I'm going to meet her one day. And it felt like maybe closer and closer, you know, I was kind of getting to you. Like, you know, when I saw like Evita was in the magazine, then I saw Idris was in the publication, you know, but I still didn't know you. And then fast forward, like fast forward, like you come moving into the studios and you're my next door neighbor and we're sharing a wall. <laughs> I know I joke sometimes because I think you you made a comment once where you're like, sometimes I hear you talking to yourself. <laughs> I mean, literally, you can hear our wall is so thin. Uh, that is so funny. Thank you for sharing that. You know, it's really funny because I remember that the day that I moved in or when we first met and you said, Hey, I think I know your platform, you know, Visionary Art Collective. And I was like, yeah. It, so that's so funny. And, you know, another example of how manifestation is just this crazy thing when you start to align with the energy of someone or the work that they're doing. Um, oh, my gosh, that's so funny. I actually had chills as you were telling me. I'm like, this is so crazy. Yeah, everybody <laughs> she has the music on the wall, like the Mark Stanley music down. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, Demarcus, I'm I'm uh, about to start a workshop. <laughs> no, you've been you've been the best, such a great studio uh, mate. And sure. I always love every time I walk past your studio, you have different paintings and you're always, you know, working on something. It's really inspiring. So it's really cool that, you know, you said I started popping up a couple years ago, but here we are today are. having this conversation and coming full circle and I'm just so excited for you and all the opportunities. I feel like you have so much coming up and uh, I think it's just going to continue to grow exponentially from here. So, uh, well, thank you again. And thank you everyone for tuning in and we'll see you next time. Thank you for tuning in and supporting our platform. To learn more about New Visionary Magazine, head over to visionaryartcollective.com magazine. You can order individual copies on Amazon or subscribe annually to digital issues. We also have opportunities to get featured in the magazine, so be sure to join our newsletter and follow us on Instagram. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to leave a review on iTunes or tag us on Instagram. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.